Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast, episode 342. I'm your host, Emily Aries, the founder and CEO of Bossed Up. And I am so excited to share this conversation with you that I just had with Dane Jensen. Dane is the author of a book called The Power of Pressure. And he and I talk through essentially how high achieving people who find themselves in high pressure situations fairly regularly, or how anyone who's going through just a slog of a time where it feels like life is relentless can really leverage the psychology and and personal sustainability of pressure, because pressure is power if, if leveraged correctly. Dane actually really blew my mind with this conversation because Historically, you know me, I'm bur- I'm all about burnout prevention, right? I'm all about avoiding high pressure and striving for ease and grace and sustainability, right? And he kind of flipped the narrative on stress for me. And so it's a really interesting conversation I think you're going to enjoy. Before we dive in, let me tell you just a little bit about Dane. Dane Jensen is the CEO of Third Factor. He's also an instructor at the Smith School of Business at Queen's University and is affiliate faculty with the UNC Executive Development at the Keenan Flagler Business School at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. At Third Factor, he works to help leaders become more effective, creative, and resilient under pressure. That's really what the book is all about. His work has spanned 23 countries on six continents, and in addition to his corporate work, Dane works extensively with athletes, coaches, leaders, and boards across Canada's Olympic and Paralympic sports system to enhance national competitiveness. Dane lives with his family in Toronto, and he's here to share some of the biggest takeaways from his very interesting book that I was delighted to get a copy of called The Power of Pressure, How to Reduce Stress, Perform at Your Best, and Master the Moments that Matter, which is coming soon along with my baby, their doer on the same time, in September 2021. So enjoy this conversation I had with Dane. Uh, I think he has a lot of great insights to share. Dane, welcome officially to the Bossed Up Podcast. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here. I'm excited to talk with you about the topic of pressure, being under pressure, so to speak, because I have to tell you, as someone who has made a career out of helping people battle burnout and having burnt out relatively early on in my career, I thought pressure was a bad thing to be avoided until I picked up a copy of your forthcoming book. So... I'm really excited to dig into this topic and want to start by saying, how on earth did you find yourself studying and asking folks about pressure and and the high pressure situations that so many professionals find ourselves in these days? 
Yeah, you know, it, it's a bit of an interesting journey. Uh, and, and by the way, you know, you, of course, are not alone in terms of, mm. uh, you know, a broadly negative perception of pressure as something that we want to kind of avoid or insulate ourselves from. And, uh, you know, I know we're going to get into that more right. uh, as we get into the conversation, but definitely that's, I think, a pretty common point of view. Totally. Um, you know, I mean, I came to pressure in, in two ways. Uh, you know, one of which was just my own personal experience of choosing a reasonably high pressure life, uh, you know, relatively early on, I went to business school, I became a management consultant, my wife and I had three kids. Mm. So I, you know, I kind of went through, you know, not an atypical uh, amount of pressure, but a, a busy life that mm. was fraught with, uh, you know, lots of trade offs and, and, and deadlines and workload and all that kind of good stuff. I, I think what got me really interested in the topic, though, is something that uh, you know, that was just the luck of the draw, which is I happened to be born into a family, uh, and in particular to a set of parents who have studied pressure for decades. Mm. Uh, you know, so my father, Peter, is uh, the lead for mental performance for Canada's Olympic team. Uh, my mom's a clinical psychologist. So I grew up with dinnertime conversation uh, <laughs> yeah. between a, a sports psychologist and a clinical psychologist, wow. which, you know, there were no there were no simple questions around <laughs> the dinner table. You know, how was your day? It was like a 90 minute conversation. So uh, so I had the benefit, honestly, of kind of uh, of kind of growing up around this stuff. Yeah. There were Olympic athletes around the house from from a relatively young age. And uh, it just became, uh, you know, a little bit of uh, of what was kind of in the water at the time. Um, and I think when I started to kind of think about my professional evolution, uh, you know, I was in management consulting, I was enjoying it, I was living at Lon you know, London, England at the time with my wife. Um, and one of the things that I observed through that experience of working in a high pressure job and balancing, you know, job and family and all mm. that stuff was, you know, I had always prided myself on my intellectual horsepower. That was kind of what I had hitched my wagon to. Was, right. you know, I'm, a, I'm a reasonably smart guy. I can do the logic thing. I can put the Excel spreadsheet together. I can answer my client's strategic questions. And, and I had a moment where through a combination of just kind of commuting and the pressure at work, the pressure at home, that stuff started to fade a little bit. Um, I started to realize that I actually wasn't being as sharp as I had been in the past. I would wake up in the morning and the emails I'd written at midnight or 1am were a little bit sloppy. The grammar was bad. I was being shorter with my teens, you yeah. know, all this stuff that, you know, that crops up. And, and it was a real moment for me where I kind of went, you know, this intellectual stuff, the left brain stuff, the, the, the horsepower, the cognitive ability, that's important. It, it, it matters. But actually, there's this additional layer of stuff, which right. is, okay, what can you get out, uh, you know, and how are you navigating all of the stuff that mediates your ability to, to actually deploy that stuff? And, and that kind of brought me full circle back to, uh, you know, in many ways, the family business, which yeah. is what I've been doing for the past, uh, the past 12 years or so. It is interesting, right? I think uh, back to psychology 101, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we could debate the, yep. the relevance of it. But I do feel like as society has just accelerated to try to keep up with our computer counterparts, we have lost our way in remembering the importance of those basic mediating factors, right? Like, I think the best yeah. title of the – one of the chapters in your book is like sleep and other inconvenient necessities or something. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, how annoying. Like, if only we could run on our horsepower alone. But we yeah. can't. <laughs> No, we can't. And I, you know, I think your point around technology and, and how technology has kind of outpaced our capacity mm. to, you know, to deal with some of this stuff. I, 
you know, I'm, I'm like many of us, uh, you know, really enamored with tech. I, I am a gadget guy. I buy things very quickly, sometimes to my own detriment, you know, before they're, before they're full <laughs> date. Version but, one, but, not version yeah, two. It, okay. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I had like the, you know, the first watch and all that kind of stuff. And it, it was interesting. I was watching, um, you know, one of the Apple events that they do where they announce new technology yeah. and, and the person responsible for their health portfolio came on stage and, and she showed a screenshot of the Apple Watch with a sentence that just said, you know, take a minute to think about something that brings you joy mm. and why it brings you joy. Begin. And, and I had this moment where I was kind of like, God, this is a canary in the coal mine that like your watch has to tap you on the wrist <laughs> and be like, you know, think about something you like. For God's sake, your heart rate is like yeah. going off the charts. You know, it just feels like a signal that, yeah. you know, that maybe we've maybe we've, you know, not set things up. And then it's exactly like, and tell us what you like so we can run ads for them. <laughs> exactly. To you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that's dangerous. Yeah, yeah no, that's exactly. dark. I like that. Uh well, it's, it is interesting, right? There are a lot of paradoxes that you talk about in the book, but I want to start with the basics because even the term pressure can be really confusing. So you talk about, you know, being under pressure as not something to be avoided necessarily, like so many folks, myself included, uh, have this preconceived notion. And then you talk about, you know, pressure is not the same thing as stress. It's not the same mm -hmm. thing as fear. So let's just get at the fundamentals here. What What do you mean when you study pressure? What do you mean when you're talking about uh, being under high pressure situations? Yeah. So, you know, the way this book came into being was a little bit informal. I, you know, I kind of started asking people this question, what's the most pressure you've ever been under? Mm -hmm. um, and it was just honestly, at the start, it was kind of just a nice icebreaker around the table in a workshop or with participants on break. I was doing a lot of teaching on resilience and pressure at the time. And, you know, what I started to realize is that this question was kind of like a, a magic portal, mm. almost, you know, on the other side of this question, there are, you know, an infinite number of incredible stories. It doesn't matter who you ask that question to, there's a great story on the other side of it. Mm. Uh, and so I started to ask it really deliberately and more frequently. And I asked it of the athletes that we work with and the business people we work with and my academic colleagues. And, and yeah, so one of the first sort of realizations I had was that, you know, the things that people classify as pressure span a vast range of human experience. Like right. there are just unbelievably diverse things, everything from taking an exam to a guy who talked to me about being caught too far from shore right. in the ocean. Oh, you know, he had realized he had gotten out too far and he wasn't sure he was going to be able to swim back in. Um, and so that got me to thinking about, you know, well, are all of these things pressure? Uh, you know, they're the experiences that people call to mind when I say pressure. Do I think they're all the same? Are they pressure? Are they stress? Are they fear? Are they grief? Are these things interrelated? Mm. Are they discrete? Um, and so the way I eventually sort of untangled it a little bit um, is, in particular, when we look at pressure and stress, they tend to be used a little bit interchangeably. Yeah. And where I kind of got to was that there is one important difference between stress and pressure. And, and the mm -hmm. way I break it down in the book is, you know, I talk about a basketball game. You know, my wife <laughs> is uh, a huge Toronto Raptors fan. We're based in Toronto. And, you know, her fandom is to the, to the level where if it's a really close game in the fourth quarter, she finds it so stressful that she has to leave the room. <laughs> right. right. I love and, that and get, visual in the book. Yeah. She's like, nope, can't be in the room anywhere. Can't handle it. Like, I need text updates. Like, <laughs> send me a text message. Let me know what's going on. 
and, and right. So she's stressed right in that moment. She's yeah. experiencing stress enough that she has to remove herself from the environment, but, but that's not pressure. Right. right. Pressure is playing in the game. Right. Pressure is the people who are on the court. Uh, and so for me, an important differentiator for pressure is this need to act mm. that I can influence the outcome, that the stakes are in part my responsibility. And I think that's what delineates, you know, pressure from stress and other related, uh, you know, terms mm. is that, you know, I got to do something in order to feel pressure. It's so interesting to put it in that perspective, because when I think of agency and autonomy and this need to act or this belief in your ability to affect the final outcome, it just triggers so many commonalities in those the burnout science, right? Because sometimes yeah. like a chronic amount of stress leads us to feel even when it's not true, it leads us to feel like we have no agency, no ability to influence the outcome. And my husband and I always joke, like, w the source of our stress is when our head hits the pillow and we know all the things we have to do the next day, but we can't do them right now. <laughs> He's like, yes. you can't solve this problem right now. You know, that sort of dissonance between wanting to act and knowing, like, not now. Like, this is not the time. And so – I think a former recent podcast guest said stress is uh, magnified by that time and space between knowing the action you have to take and actually being able to take it. So I think there's something very important about the, that differential um, and the high pressure of being in the game, being in the ring, having the <laughs> having it be go time is yeah. what pressure really feels like. Well, and I, you know, I think it's interesting because this gets a little bit at the pressure of preparation mm. and the pressure of performance. And, you know, so certainly one very common theme when you talk to, you know, elite athletes and, and we've had the benefit of working yeah. with over a hundred Olympic medalists, you know, going back a quarter century, I think, you know, without fail, every single one of them I talked to said, listen, you know, Waiting, this is from Jeremiah Brown, who's a, a Olympic medalist in rowing. He said, waiting is a disease. Yeah. Right? You know, he's like, performance, I can handle the pressure of performance. Really managing anticipation mm. is what managing pressure is all about. Mm. Um, it, you know, partly because, of course, how you manage the anticipation ultimately bleeds into, you know, how you're feeling and where you're at when you have to perform. Uh, but also because, to your point, I, you know, I think there is that gap sometimes between the necessity to act versus the capacity to act. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, the bigger that gap, the more you're kind of going, okay, you know, and, and this gets at the, the notion that you talked about earlier, you know, uh, which is this ability in my belief to handle what is creating pressure for me. Do I connect with what Bandura at Stanford is called self-efficacy? Like I have the capacity right. to handle this. Uh, and so you can have the necessity to act without the capacity to act. You know, one story I heard recently when I asked about the most pressure somebody had been under is they were standing on stage with another person and that person started choking and walked God. right towards them, expecting them to help. Jesus. And, and so that guy had the responsibility to act, but he did not remember the Heimlich maneuver. Like his capacity to act was very low. Like he didn't know what he was supposed to do. He didn't feel like he could handle it. He saw it as a threat as opposed to, you know, something that I could rise to. <sighs> so, so for sure, that whole element of control and capacity, do I think that I have the ability to handle this situation? Right. That's one of the big toggles of, you know, physiologically, do I go into a threat response or do I go into a challenge response? Uh, you know, which are two very different states. I have to ask how things went with that person. 
So I, this is one of those unfortunate stories where I never got the conclusion. Oh, so I'm going to leave your okay. listeners hanging. Okay. Uh, I'm going to leave your listeners <laughs> hanging on this one. Your book, uh, by the way, is full of stories that like truly elicit a stress response physiologically <laughs> as you're reading. You're like, oh, God. And it's interesting when you're talking about anticipation, the storyteller in me says, oh, hell yeah, anticipation. That yeah. is the – that is the bread and butter of storytelling, and it can be used really uh, responsibly. It can be used irresponsibly. It can be, you know, it's so innately how we're wired as humans. And you talk about that difference or that fine line, really, between excruciating anticipation, like your Olympic rower saying, ugh, waiting is the worst, versus excited anticipation, like, oh, I can't wait for that vacation we have coming up. I'm so excited. So the stress versus excitement uh, paradigm or, or, or paradox is like they're very uh, physiologically similar, aren't they? Yeah. Well, and you know, I think this to me gets right at, you know, what is it that creates pressure? Because mm. that's kind of similar to you know, what is it that draws a line between the excitement of not knowing how a movie ends right. versus, you know, the very unenjoyable experience of, you know, waiting while a loved one is in surgery. You know, right. both of them are kind of surprise endings. Uh, one of them we enjoy. One of them is yeah. you know, not something we would ever want to go through. Um, and I think, you know, when we look at what creates pressure, and this is really at the heart of the book, this was kind of, you know, as I sort of sat down and uh, synthesized everything I heard in my stories, you know, really pressure is a function of, of three main things. So, you know, the first thing that has to be there for pressure to be present is importance. So, you know, the amount of pressure that we feel is directly correlated to the importance of the outcome mm. of a given situation. Right. Uh, if, if I don't care about something, it's not really going to create pressure for me. Right. Which by the way, for the listeners uh, of this podcast, you know, when we feel pressure, that is often because we have chosen to do important and meaningful things, right? Pressure is a sign that we have opted in to taking on important and meaningful challenges, right. which is a positive thing, right? So there, there is a, a positive flip inherent I, I love, in there. I love that framing too. I, I want to get to the two others, but just to add, the importance message can help navigate our own relationship with our sense of pressure, right? Saying, yep. I feel under a lot of pressure right now because I care, because this is really important to me. And that even just saying that to myself, I think can help justify or explain or contextualize the high stress you're feeling in a really positive way. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. You know, when we, when, we, when we see, you know, our stress response, our responses under pressure as something that signals that, okay, I must really care about this. Yeah. Um, yeah, that is actually, I think, quite helpful from a framing standpoint. Absolutely. So talk to me about uncertainty, because this is my least favorite of the three. <laughs> right. Okay. So, you know, yes, pressure is correlated to the importance of the outcome, but, you know, just importance alone doesn't create pressure. We need uncertainty. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if something really matters to me, but I know exactly how it's going to turn out, uh, it's not going to create a lot of pressure. It is this, you know, <laughs> yeah. this play of importance times uh, uncertainty. I, and I always tell, tell my team this at Bostop, having just navigated a small business pivot that landed us in a totally different world than we were in a year and a half ago, uh, we'll never be bored. You will <laughs> never be bored here. Like <laughs> Uncertainty is the name of the game. And while it feels a lot of stress, like there's a lot of stress inherent to that and a lot of uncertainty that's 
uncomfortable, you will not be bored in this environment. <laughs> and, and so like, again, the framing matters, but uncertainty is yes. my least favorite of the three. Well, and that's very human, right? Yeah. I, you know, I mean, we are, we are not wired to like uncertainty, uh, you know, and I know there's a lot of uh, sort of cliches in evolutionary biology and tracing everything back to evolutionary biology. But, you know, it's a simple fact that it wasn't the people who were like, huh, I wonder what that rustling is in the bushes over there. Like, let's go investigate, right? Yeah. They weren't the people that, that survived right. and went on, went on to procreate. Like, right. you know, we are very hardwired and selected for people that insulated themselves from uncertainty and fled to security and safety. And, you know, a lot of that stuff is, is pretty, mm. pretty hardwired. True. Well, and, and, and this is where it kind of comes back to me to your, your original question around, you know, what separates you know, uncertainty that's pleasurable, like not knowing the end of the book or the end of the movie from uncertainty that is painful or, or really uncomfortable. And, and I think this is, this is why in the, the book I talk about it, you know, there's a multiplier between importance. It's importance times uncertainty yeah. that creates pressure. You know, if something is relatively unimportant to me, I can actually tolerate a lot of uncertainty, right? I'm, I'm in the middle of watching Mayor of Easttown right now. And if you've seen it, please don't spoil the ending for me. I have um, Yeah. I have no idea. You know, I have no idea where this is going. It is entirely uncertain from my perspective and I'm loving it, right? Because right. the importance is low. It's, it's you know, 100% uncertainty is actually really enjoyable. Right. Um, when the importance starts to get cranked up, you know, I already used the example of, you know, a really important event, like I'm getting wheeled down the corridor to life-saving surgery. If there's a 95% success rate on that operation, you know, the 5% is going to create uh, an uncomfortable level of pressure. Right. Right, right, right. Multiplier. I didn't quite get that when I read it. My math brain was like, what? I don't understand. <laughs> so that makes a lot of sense, though. It's like they're not just added to each other. They magnify one another. Exactly. Mm. Low importance. We can tolerate high uncertainty. You know, very high importance. The amount of uncertainty needed to create pressure is relatively right. low. When they're both in overdrive, um, yeah. you know, highly important, highly uncertain. Uh, you know, and we've seen this in spades over the past 14 months oh my with gosh. the pandemic, right. right? You know, fundamentally important things like our health, the health of our loved ones, our financial security, high levels of, import, uh, of uncertainty around all of those things. And I think mm. you know, that's part of what has made um, the pandemic so uncomfortable, you know, for yeah. so many people from a pressure standpoint. Absolutely. So let's tackle volume because I loved when you described this third element of what makes things feel high pressure um, yeah. as volume. And you said, or it's sort of counterpart, a lack of time. <laughs> so <laughs> I love that way of looking at it. It's not that I lack time. It's that I have a lot to do, a lot on my plate, a lot of hats that I'm wearing right now. So how does that uh, fit into to the importance, uncertainty, and volume altogether? Yeah. So, so that's really the third you know variable that kind of loads under pressure, which is, you know, I think there's a very real argument, you know, or just a truth that like as human beings, we've always had to exist in important and uncertain situations that's existed since the dawn of time. I, you know, I actually think, you know, what's really unique about the, the modern world is volume. Yeah. You know, I think of all three variables, that's the one that has ratcheted up the most. Yeah. Uh, and so, yes, we've always had important uncertain situations. The volume of stuff that we are dealing with, 
uh, in a given day would have been baffling to people even 20 or 30 years <laughs> yeah. ago, uh, you know, at this point. And, and so, you know, in many ways, that's the one that kind of throws us into overdrive a little bit. Uh, it's just the sheer amount of volume. And I, you know, I think your point around, um, you know, volume or its alter ego, the lack of time, I, you know, the reason I kind of went there in the book is because, you know, I see so frequently that when volume is what's creating pressure for people, mm. you know, people typically default to time management, right? They go, okay, yeah. you know, I've just got so much stuff to do. I've got a limited amount of time. I need to, you know, get really good at being efficient at processing this volume. And, and I, you know, I always say that time management is a trap, mm. right? It, it's a trap. You know, if you look at people who get really good at time management, do they get more volume or less volume? They get more. They get more volume. Yeah. Right? It's You, you know, can it's handle like an, another beach. spinning plate. You know, you're a really good plate spinner. Spin another one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like you free up an hour on your calendar, especially in large organizations. Like you may as well set off a signal flare that's right. like, hey, I can take on another project kickoff. Or like, hey, you know, right. that hour gets immediately snatched up because, oh, great, you know. Or, uh, uh, Honestly, worst day in my mother, who's an who's like an incredible high volume taskmaster, does not feel comfortable with an abundance of time now. I get texts from her on her days off. She's like, I have no idea what to do with myself. I'm being lazy. And I'm like, wow, that is that's that requires a team of psychotherapists that I'm not equipped for. But you know, like we can default to not feeling good about ourselves while not producing. And that's so toxic. I hundred percent agree. I, you know, I think one of the, one of the topics that I've started to just nose around a little bit for, for potentially the next book is this notion of guilt, yeah. um, you know, and the prevalence of guilt, uh, that, I, that I think, you know, everybody I know who is mm -hmm. a high achiever is ambitious, you know, it, they tend to be the ones that suffer most from this, yeah. uh, you know, abundance of I'm still not doing enough, or I should be doing something that I'm not. Or when I have that five minutes of downtime, you know, it's hard to be mindful and present to the downtime mm. because I'm thinking about all the stuff I should be doing or could be doing. Uh, and especially now that work and, you know, home have oh, yeah. blended uh, into one physical space, I think, it, yeah, it becomes a lot easier. I, you know, one of the things that really uh, a concept that I was exposed to over the past year or two that really stuck with me was this notion that we all need somebody who can abs absolve us of our guilt. Mm. Um and that one of the one of the most important relationships that we can build, and, and this didn't make it into the book because I, I kind of came across this a little bit later, but you know, is do you have that person in your life who you trust and respect enough to believe them when they say, let yourself off the hook, mm. like you've done what you can, right? And, and maybe for your mom, that's you, yeah. uh, you know, to be able to provide that absolution because I think otherwise we do work ourselves up uh, into you know yeah. into these guilt spirals. I for think. Sure. I we should debate that sometime because I have a concept in the start of my book called the martyrdom mindset that's very yeah. similar, and I think the self, like, f what is it, self, you know, uh, flagellation, flagellating, yeah, yeah, like that need for absolution is a religious, b ingrained yep. into our Protestant work ethic that founded this country for sure, and I'm sure. North America writ large. And like, yep. I'm a big believer that I reject the notion that we need that coming from an external source. You know what I mean? <laughs> so we so should talk can, about you it. You can provide yourself with that. Yeah. I think if, see, if you can get there, then I think, 
I think that's absolutely the ultimate end goal. I, would, I, do, should, I think we should encourage people to get there. I think yeah. we should say no one can but you. But I'm, you know, there's a lot to unpack there. We'll have there to have is. you back on the podcast. Let's do it. Let's, sounds like a when great your next up. book is out, trust me, also women are the experts in guilt, if you'd like. We can talk more <laughs> about that sometime. <laughs> I do want to ask you a, a question about getting at sort of the intersectionality of pressure here about privilege and pressure. Mm-hmm. Because in uh, in a chapter of your book, you talk about NBA star... Is it Kyle Lowry? Yes. And um, he said at a press conference after a high-pressure basketball game, and he said, listen, you think I'm under a lot of pressure. He writes, or you, you quote him saying, quote, what my mom had to go through, what my grandmother had to go through, feeding myself, my brother, my cousin, my little cousin, et cetera, et cetera, getting – you know, getting to work at five o'clock in the morning and still having a bowl of cereal sitting in the fridge with some milk for me, that's pressure. That's pressure to me. And I thought, you know, mm-hmm. we're in a bit of an ivory tower conversation here about the psychology of pressure. Yeah. And there's so much class nuance to pressure. Um, talk about high importance, high uncertainty, high volume. Do you think the solutions around navigating pressure, either the the, the high peak pressure moments you talk about or the grinding long haul cyclical pressure that so many folks of color and women in particular and working class people are are under do you think the advice applies across class yeah so you know it's a great question and that kyle lowry interview really stopped me in my tracks um in particular because of when he said it so uh, you know, this was on the eve of game six of the NBA finals. The, the Toronto Raptors never won a championship in franchise history, uh, a quarter century of buildup in a city of 5 million people, um, everything on the line the next day. He's the heart and soul of the team. He runs the offense. And, you know, in a press conference in that moment in time, that's where he went when he got asked about pressure, mm. uh, was to talk about his mother and his grandmother. And, and I thought for me, it really was, you know, to, to get at the heart of your question, a really good gut check on like, okay, yeah. let's talk about what really matters and what real pressure actually feels like mm. and, and looks like. And I think, you know, there's an important mediator to pressure that, that we open by talking about, which is this notion of control. Mm. And, you know, I do think that pressure sits very differently when you are feeling pressure from challenges that you have chosen versus challenges that are visited upon you. um, And you really have no way of opting out of them or, you know, taking a different path or, you know, so I, I do think, you know, one of the slogans that people love in elite sport is pressure is a privilege. Um, And and I think that's true in the world of elite sport. You know, it's one of the, one of the hockey coaches we, we work with, you know, he would sit down with the national team and he would say, you know, hundred percent of people not in this room aren't feeling pressure right now. And that was his way of saying, Hey, the reason you're feeling pressure is because you made it, you got yeah. selected to the national team, right? This pressure is a privilege. And so listen, I think in, in, in the elite context, that is true. Pressure is a privilege. When you strip away all the other types of privilege, pressure is not a privilege. Pressure is a, is a burden that needs to be borne in many mm. ways. Um, and at the same time, what I would say is that, 
the notion that is kind of central to the book, which is this idea that pressure, you know, the subtitle of the book is why pressure isn't the problem, it's the solution. And, and that's a little deliberately provocative because pressure absolutely can create problems. Right. And what we find over and over again is that it's actually the energy that's under pressure that gives people the capacity to handle their situations. Right. So I would argue even in some of those situations where I didn't choose this, right. I don't want this, this is sitting really heavy it's still the pressure that actually gives people the energy to handle it. Like it's yeah. the physiology of pressure that actually, you know, supplies the adrenaline and, you know, the, the, the fast twitch muscle fiber and all that stuff yeah. that people need to get up every day and, and, and do what they need to do. But, but absolutely there is a tremendous amount of privilege inherent and in mm-hmm. I get to choose the stressors I'm taking on versus they're just visited upon me. Yeah. That's a really interesting way of looking at it. There is so much that you unpack in the book that we could never possibly cover in one interview alone. But I do want to get to the differential that you draw between peak pressure moments versus the long haul and how (laughs) physiologically managing those two situations are very, very different. Talk about what that means. Yeah, so it's it's kind of interesting here. I you know, I think one of the big revelations to me over the course of doing the research for the book was that you know, when we talk about somebody who's really good under pressure, I've come to believe that that actually means you have to be good at two things, mm. uh, not just one thing. Um, because there is a big difference between, you know, peak pressure moments, which are you know, the big exam, the job interview, the big sales presentation, you know, the VC pitch, you know, all of the, you know, the big basketball game, all, all this stuff that represents sort of a violent collision of importance and uncertainty, you know, in a very short period of time. Mm. And that's often what we think of when we think about people who are good at pressure. Uh, you know, they can handle those moments, they rise to the occasion, all that kind of good yeah. stuff. It, you know, but inherent in Kyle Lowry's quote, th- there is a very different kind of pressure, which is more about grinding volume over the long haul. Right. Um, now, I, I will say in many ways, when, when I kind of talk about the long haul, I'm not talking about, you know, the totality of life itself, you know, the long haul of 40, 50, 70, 80 right, years. Right, right, right. I'm really talking about those periods in life. You know, I had people talk to me about caring for a dying parent while holding down a really high stress job Mm. or going through a move while dealing with, you know, a child who is ill or, you know, these periods of time that are maybe, you know, 10 months or a year and a half, but are a particularly heavy period in your life where you're just carrying a really big pile and you have to show up with energy every day to be able to manage it. And I think, you know, what's kind of interesting, I, I started to, to talk about this concept of being pressure ambidextrous, which is that there are, you know, I, I think it's a much rarer class of people that are actually able to get good at both of those things. You know, many of the, the, the elite performers that I talk to mm-hmm. in sport and business and the military, phenomenal at handling those peak pressure moments often do not have the most well-ordered home lives over the years and the decades, you know, right. uh, maybe not necessarily uh, as good at the long haul. And then vice versa. There are people who are just fantastic yeah. at navigating the uncertainty and the volume of the long haul, but wouldn't choose to put themselves, you know, in a high stakes kind of moment of peak pressure. Mm. And so I think our ability as, as individuals to become pressure ambidextrous, to get good at both of those things, you know, where I kind of landed here is 
depending on whether you're talking peak pressure or the long haul, importance, uncertainty, and volume, they, they actually play very different roles, almost opposite roles yeah. across those two durations. And you call it the power of pressure model. And you kind of, I mean, it's a whole book's worth of information because you walk through that different sort of stage by stage in the book, that model and how it looks so different, whether you're navigating acute stress or chronic stress is another way that I think about it. Um, And that's just a really good message, right? Like to make clear for people, all the advice out there on stress management, burnout prevention, it is different if we're talking like performance pressure under a peak pressure moment or what I call sustainable success, right? How do you build in like you talk about in the book, you know, everything from diet and exercise and sleep and maintenance tactics to navigate yeah. importance, uncertainty, and volume through long haul periods of of more chronic uh, overwhelm and stress. So, I think I think we might have to leave it there, Dane, which is which is a tough spot because I'm sure you could you could talk about the difference in, in navigating that all day, but people should really pick up your book for the details. Um, on it, and you've already given us so, so much. Is there anything you feel like is left unsaid that absolutely has to, you have to close out on that? No, I mean, I think, I think we covered a lot of really interesting ground. I, you know, I think, you know, pressure in many ways, if I could leave people with one thing, yeah, it's, you know, I think what we resist persists. And when we try to push all the pressure away in our lives, often it creates a bit of a negative feedback loop. Mm. Um, and, you know, I'm not saying take on as much stress and pressure as you can until you, you know, burn out and burn down the house. <laughs> but I do think we want to remember that at the end of the day, pressure is inherent in the human journey of growth and development. Yes. If I'm going to do things I haven't done before, I'm going to experience pressure. And, and under pressure is is energy. Yeah. And if I can get at that energy, if I can channel it appropriately, if I can keep importance and uncertainty and volume and balance, um, you know, there's 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 gold under there. Um, and, and so it's something that we can learn to embrace, um, you know, if we can if we can develop a positive relationship with it. I love that. The power of pressure, why pressure isn't the problem. It's the solution has a lot more on how to do just that. Dane, where can folks learn more about you and get a copy of your book? Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me online at danejensen.com. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Dane Jensen and on LinkedIn at Dane Jensen. Uh, always happy to chat, answer questions uh, if, uh, if anybody wants to know a little bit more. And of course, you can get the book uh, wherever books are sold, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, all those uh, places will be able to get your pre-order in. Awesome. And when does it publish? Yeah, so official pub date is August 31st. Awesome. Dane, thank you so much for dropping by the Boston Podcast. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Yeah, my pleasure. It was really fun. Thanks so much. To get links to all of the resources that Dane and I mentioned, head to bossedup.org slash episode 342. That's bossedup.org slash episode 342. And now it's time for this week's Boss Move of the Week. Today, I want to give a special shout out to Liana, who is showing us here at Bossed Up HQ what it really means to lift as you climb. Just a few months back, I was celebrating Liana on this very podcast for landing an awesome new job after graduating from Hired, our job search accelerator. 
And after nearly a year of being unemployed following a COVID-19 related layoff, that alone is no small feat and is absolutely worthy of celebration. But Liana didn't stop there. She reached back out to us after she was comfortably cruising along in her new role complete with a baller new salary, I might uh, also add. (laughs) And she offered to pay it forward by sponsoring additional job seekers in need who wanted to get in on the hands-on coaching and curriculum that's offered through the hired program, but who were having trouble swinging the price tag. And with her help, Liana has made it possible for three new job seekers to join the hired program at a discounted rate. Talk about lifting as you climb. This boss is truly walking the walk while also supporting our hardworking team of staff and coaches here at Bossed Up. We could not be prouder of all of the ways that you're bossing up and turning back around and lifting as you climb. So thank you, Liana, uh, for just taking it to such a new level. I'm so, so impressed with you and we so appreciate your support. And now, boss, I want to hear from you. If you've got a boss move of the week to share, write it in at info at bossedup.org or send me a voice memo or call it in at the Bossed Up Podcast hotline, 910-668-BOSS or 2677. Let's keep this conversation going in the Bossed Up Courage community on Facebook. It's the best place to be if you haven't found it already. I'd love to hear what you think of the power of pressure. Did Dane change your mind? He kind of changed a little bit of mine. And does it change the way that you're approaching those high pressure moments, the peak moments of pressure or the long haul? I kind of feel like I'm in a long haul right now. <laughs> it's the pre-maternity leave long haul my team and I are in right now feels like it would benefit from this conversation. So I hope it serves you. I can't wait to hear what you think. In the meantime, let's keep Boston in pursuit of our purpose. And as the original motto of America's First Black Women's Club says, let's lift as we climb. <laughs>